Hey guys, I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know that Surewinder is still selling amazing products. Some of you guys have been dragging your feet for whatever reason. If your shoulder hurts, do not waste time. Pull the trigger. I just bought uh, four or five of them and uh, we had two guys out. You know how much it cost me to pay for two guys being out with bad shoulders? We just pulled the trigger and we said, listen, everybody's going to have one on a truck. It's mandatory. You got to use it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait till your guys go down. It's going to cost you more. Buy a Sherwinder. What's up, guys? Ryan here with Torture Talk Podcast. Just want to give a shout out to everyone out there hustling. I know you guys are grinding. It's been cold. It's been super cold. And then if it's not cold, it looks like it's snowing because all the chemicals falling from the sky. You guys are crushing it. Thank you up there in Ohio and Michigan and all those places. You guys are doing a great job with the railroad system. Uh, but today, we're not going to talk about all that. We're going to talk about personal finances, wealth management. Some of you guys are starting to make enough money or have been making enough money and have kind of wondered, where do I put it? What do I do with it? And as I've mentioned before, you're not supposed to take my advice and put it all in Bitcoin. This gentleman <laughs> today is going to tell you exactly where you should put it. He's not your advisor, but he's going to come up with some good ideas and some things that you should research and take into consideration. And at the end, we'll get his contact information and you'll find that in the notes. If you want to reach out to him, uh, we're going to cover some wealth management stuff for you personally, you and your family as well as some ERC and research development. I know we touched on a little bit of that before. We're going to go over some more details and some of those things have evolved and we're going to try and find ways to get money so that you can help grow your business. So Derek Van Ness is with us. How are you, sir? Fantastic, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. And Tamara, our wonderful co-host is here as usual. I am here. Hello. And uh, Tamara's been going through a lot, so you guys be praying for her. She's getting yeah. kicked around a little bit, but I told her, mm -hmm. you know, that stuff usually happens right before a big breakthrough. So yep. just be looking for the breakthrough. That's, at least that's how I do it. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, it, is it makes me, it <laughs> Onward makes me, and upward. Yeah, it makes me feel better, you know? Yeah. Um, by the uh, way, Derek, for those of you guys watching on YouTube, he's got a cooler uh mic and uh podcast <laughs> setup than i do and i'm the podcast guy so this is interesting um but uh kudos to you we were just talking about you you just built your first house i'm also building a house uh not for your first house but you just built a house you moved in uh i'm building a house right now so a lot of challenges going on with that <laughs> uh for sure um yeah. these dang garage doors are expensive <laughs> they can be yeah <laughs> I'm trying to negotiate better pricing for my, my personal door. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Derek, let's talk wealth management. I've got some good questions I think I can throw out there for you, but, um, sure. you know, let's talk in categories, right? Uh, because I think the, the strategies and the uh, things are different by income level. For sure. So we talked a little bit about how like most garage door guys who have an established company with three or four trucks are probably paying themselves a hundred to 200 grand, um, mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. And the bigger companies are probably paying themselves, you know, 200 to 400 grand a year. Right. Sure. So mm -hmm. let's break it up in hundred to 200 range. 
because that's probably okay. going to be the vast majority. And then let's kind of talk about the two and up range. Um, so one, one, if you're making a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year, hopefully you're not spending it all and you're tight. Uh, <laughs> hopefully yeah. you are budgeting and putting money aside. But in a time where you have cash, I'm a big believer, and I've been preaching on our station. Is it a station? Our podcast, not on radio. <laughs> Um, like don't just have a bunch of money sitting in your savings account because cash is depreciating. Um, you're not getting high enough interest rate to offset the depreciation and there's other opportunities out there to grow your wealth. So mm -hmm. if I'm making a hundred to 200 grand a year, let's say I've got 50, 60, 80 K in the bank. Um, mm -hmm. I'm able to, I've got some disposable income. What are your suggestions for someone like that? Well, first off, kudos to you because you're, uh, you're saving money. Because I think the, the most important thing people can do, it doesn't even matter income level, is you want to systematize putting money aside. If you don't systematize it, if you just do it when you have extra, then you're going to end up not saving nearly as much or putting enough money out there. The whole world's out there trying to kill itself to make an extra half a percent, one percent, two percent, right? Like that's what those guys on Wall Street like cut each other's throats over. Mm -hmm. The truth is, if you just save more money, you're going to be way further ahead than if you got an extra half a percent, right? So th that's the first thing. And so kudos to you if you've got sixty or eighty grand sitting there, you you're doing something right. Now, what you're saying, Ryan, is is totally true. You've got money sitting in a savings account it is effectively losing value, right? We've known that about money, but certainly that's been ratcheted up in the last year as interest rates have been climbing. And if I'm straight with you, I don't have a crystal ball, but my, my macroeconomic mind that told me two years ago, we were in inflation long before people realized it is also telling me that we are not coming out of this inflationary period anytime soon. Interest rates are gonna be high, I would guess for at least the next three to five years. Uh, the Fed's already coming in and saying, hey, um, we, we, we're going to slow down, but maybe we aren't now because they're saying inflation's being stubborn. You want me to tell you what's happening? They keep printing freaking money. Well, they do that, and I help people get a lot of that money, but that's true. But the, here, here's the real thing. Well, like Offset inflation with ERC and uh, research and development money. Basically, Yes. But, but here's the big thing that's happening out there is if you were, you guys, you know, people listening to this are probably your, your product costs went way up, right? Like your materials costs uh, double. shot way up. And that hop happened across the board during the pandemic. Well, what didn't happen is most people's wages haven't gone up yet. So all those costs went up, cost of building stuff, cost of rent, cost of cars. Well, guess what your employees have to deal with? They have to buy all of that stuff and they haven't seen their wages go up. There's a ton of people job jumping right now because that's how they're getting their raise. So what's actually happening is wages need to catch up with the cost of everything. And so employers are going to have to pay their employees more so that their employees can afford cars and houses and food and all the other stuff that's gone up in value. They weren't forced to do that during the pandemic. And honestly, a lot of people were a little bit scared. So they just kind of didn't ask their boss for a raise, right? Everything kind of got put on pause, but they're forced to now. Every time their rent renews, it's going up, you know, 20%. People are freaking out and they need my to get rent in my buildings 33% to yeah. renew my lease at, at the office. Yeah, it, it's happening everywhere. So what 
what the Fed is trying to do is slow down spending, right? Well, by raising rates, anything that's financed, cars, equipment, all that big stuff, less of it's getting purchased. So it's pushing the prices back down. But the truth is, wages got to catch up. So the Fed, by raising rates, they cannot control the change that's got to happen in wages. And so that inertia that we've already created is going to take a couple of years to run through the system, right? And so even though they raise rates, inflation is going to continue to be higher there. We have a genuine housing shortage. So just because people can't afford houses doesn't mean costs are going to go down. It means rent's going to go up. Yeah. Right. So, and rents are a huge part of the CPI, consumer price index, which tells them what's happening with inflation. So they're like almost doing something that's countering the CPI. It's pushing CPI up because housing such a, a huge part of that. So we got a little bit of a mess. And the truth is, well, it'll shake out. It's just going to take some time. So was this uh, coming regardless of like, you know, I, I look back on the uh, like the last um, four years of Obama and then you had like this explosive uh, market when Trump was in office. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I remember telling people during the Obama years that we're, we're kicking the problems down this, like the, the can down the street. Like it's, we're prolonging an issue that we already have. Like, I felt like I saw some of this coming back, you know, before Trump got in and then Trump came in and it was like, boom, everything exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, market was great. People were spending, um, and then, you know, I don't know that like COVID probably accelerated it and made it a lot worse, but I still feel like what goes up must come down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were some sketchy things that were going <laughs> on financially with Obama's when he was in office. So like, was this coming regardless and, uh, and COVID just forced it, uh, where people couldn't kick a can down the road any longer? Or do you think that this is a product of COVID pretty much just by itself? Um, I think it's a combination of the two. So, you know, what happened, Obama went into office right in 08 when everything was at the bottom. The Fed was lowering interest rates. We did qualitative easing where we're spending all the money, right? And that sort of became a norm and had been continuing. So they were pumping money into the system to prop it up and help us recover, which was actually good. But then it's also good politics, right? When the economy's good, people like it. It's easier to get reelected. So they kept, they kept doing it over and over and over. And then what happened with Trump was they did the tax rewrite in, in 2017, right? First off, when, when he came into office, a lot of people were like, he's a business guy. This is going to be great. Stock market loves it. We get the Trump bump, right? Yep. Then in, and then at the end of 2016, or I'm sorry, 2017, yes, 2017, they, they passed the law that says, hey, we're not going to tax corporations the same. We're going to lower the corporate tax rate. The idea was, and I think it was a good idea, was let's lower taxes on the corporations. They're going to reinvest in growing their business, research and development, technology. It isn't what happened. Actually, what happened was the stock market market was faltering. It actually was starting to show some cracks. So the companies took almost all of that money and this is broad strokes, right? Every company did different things, but airlines were the worst, a couple others. Uh, they went in and they kept buying their own stock back to keep the stock prices up. And that really helped sustain that growth. But we were really due probably 20, 2018 for a pullback. But this yeah. pushed us through and kind of got 
an extra year or two of all this corporate money that would have been paid in taxes is now in the system, right? It's buying stocks, it's building that, which creates more wealth for a lot of people. We were probably due then, that bought us two years, which got us to the 2020, you know, and you did see a little dip in 2018, right before all that uh, sort of started to really take place. But 2020, we were really seeing some cracks. Like there was a lot of speculation, like this is the year it's gonna pull back. COVID happens, we see a crash. That wasn't a, an actual economic crash. That was uh, everybody panicked and was like, the market's gonna crash, we should pull our money out, which caused the market to crash. Mm-hmm. And then it went back in. And then you, you, know, you saw all of the, the market take off because people weren't spending on anything. I mean, they were buying home gym equipment and maybe bigger Netflix accounts. Pools right? St- stuff at home. Yeah. People were nesting a little bit, but no vacation spending, no travel spending, a lot less vehicle spending. I work with a lot of dentists. Everybody got braces. Like I didn't realize, but you know, kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> we got extra money. We're wearing a mask. Why not get braces now if you've ever wanted them? I didn't think of that. Me either. Uh, Interesting. I work with a lot of shop owners and they're like, yeah, people did all this deferred maintenance that they've been waiting for on their cars. They had a little extra money. So they Probably did all those. Still. What's that? Car was sitting still. Yeah, well, and, and they had the money to do it, right? It's like that yeah. stuff you know you should have done. A lot of people obviously did home repairs and all this other stuff. So certain industries saw the redistribution of that money out of entertainment and into catch up, into the type of entertainment that they now wanted into their home where they were spending all of their time. So, so there was sort of a redistribution of that money, uh, which kind of caused areas to boom. And then, um, and then the stimulus stuff started happening, the SBA loans. Like I talk to business owners all day. And if I'm honest with you, a ton of them are sitting on 50, 100, 200, $500,000 because they got PPP. So most businesses got a ton of money. And a lot of them, quite frankly, have said, we didn't really need it. Like we did for second quarter, but then things, things didn't like totally come back to normal, but things were still workable. Right. I don't the, even think they exhausted all the PPP money. Well, I think they ran, they finally ran it out. Did they? They did. Yeah. Cause I, and the SBA money too. Um, but not, it took a long time. It took like a year and a half. Yeah. And so they were doing PPP, which was fully forgiven. So to the business owners, this was a big chunk of money. So all that money goes into the economy and those people are able to spend and buy houses and do other things. Then there's, um, there's all these SBA loans. These SBA loans were a home run because obviously people could always get business loans. Specifically about idle? Uh, yes. Or just all SBA loans? Well, the, the EIDL loans where everything was a 30-year amortization, 3.75%. I actually think of... Go ahead. Like, is, it, is it... Okay, so the logic behind that, because we talked a lot about it on this show, mm-hmm. was take it, you know, take it regardless... If you don't need it, just give it back. But where else are you going to get money for 3% at that type with a 30-year payback for capital for your business? Yeah, it was basically per $100,000, it costs you about 500 bucks a month. Yeah. Right, crazy. No-brainer. Yeah, like you could could put that money almost anywhere but a savings account. (laughs) Bitcoin. And make that. 100x. Well, if you if you had been smart enough to do that, yes, because that was about the time. Yeah, it was. Uh, right. But but here's the thing: like 
and you were supposed to use that money for your business. Like it specifically said, don't use this to pay off debt. Don't use this for other kinds of things. You need to use this to pay for employees, to grow your business. Like it needed to be that kind of stuff. But, you know, translating that into personal wealth for people over time wasn't super difficult if they wanted it to. So that was another huge infusion of cash, hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for most businesses. And then we're going through the third tier of that, which is the employee retention credits, which is another, you, you get $26,000 per employee if you were impacted by COVID and you didn't have to see losses like a lot of people thought you did. As long as your business, the, the language in the, in the tax guidance says, if your business was nominally impacted, it's, it's considered a partial suspension of business. So the two ways to qualify are revenue decline or a full or partial suspension of your business. So 37 pages down, it defines partial suspension as nominal impact to your ability to, or your capability to deliver your goods or services. Well, what is nominal impact? Supply chain is what my <clears throat> people, I guess, kind of categorize well, that as. Well, there, there's more to it than that even. So nominal impact is the next sentence is defined as uh, your re reduced capabilities of not less than 10%. So if you were impacted, your efficiency or effectiveness was impacted by 10% or, or more. Well, if you take a typical day, that's 45 minutes of someone's day that had to be taken up by COVID protocols, because this has to be tied to mandates, right? The government said you had to do it this way. And because of that, your business was, was hampered. And if that's the case, and you meet that 10% threshold, then you should be able to claim the credits for whatever quarters that was true. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you take like a lot of auto shops that we work with, they're saying, you know, a car comes in, takes 20 minutes to clean it, spray it down and sanitize it. And then they do their work. And then you got to spend another 20 minutes to clean it before you send it out and give it to the customer to make sure there's no transfer of that. Well, just that that's 40 minutes per vehicle. You know, if you're servicing eight vehicles a day and you've got eight employees that almost hits your 10% margin, just right there. That's 40, you know, 40 times eight vehicles, that's 320 minutes a day that employees are having to spend on things that they wouldn't have to do if it wasn't for those, those guidelines. Um, plus, if people had their kid gets COVID, but mom and dad don't get it, but mom and dad have to stay home. Well, if that's your employee, you're, you're losing seven days, 10 days, 14 days during that period of time uh, where they couldn't come in and work, right? If they had a job. You got to, doc, you got to have proof of that, right? So you do need, well, technically you don't have to document it to file the credit. However, everybody we've worked with, we, we tell them you should. And the way that you want to do that is they, they ask for what's the mandate? How did it impact your business or how did you modify your business? And then what was the outcome? So it could be social distancing. We had to change capacities in our office we couldn't you know like for garage door guys i've had people tell me we had we couldn't have two guys in a truck we could only have one guy so a guy goes out he does his thing he comes back and it's more time in the truck it's more you know there are things that take longer because they can only have one guy on the job site not two or three right or extra costs for gas and other things like that and then you get into supply chain you get into cleaning tools cleaning workspaces you know you start adding all that up and if you hit that 10% margin then you you've got or a 10% impact then you've got a chance to to qualify for these credits 
I think people kind of forgot how much stuff they had to deal with when they made those modifications yeah. and they still made their way through. Uh, supply chain obviously is a huge one in anything construction related, but it wasn't just like, oh, our supplier didn't have it because the government has come out since and said, well, because you couldn't buy it from supplier A, why didn't you go to supplier B? Like, you need to tell us how did the government shutdowns cause you not to be able to just get it somewhere else? If you couldn't, for lack of a better term, if you couldn't get it at Home Depot, why didn't you get it at Lowe's, right? Tell us a little deeper than that, why that, uh, what that caused and what jobs you missed or how things changed or whatever the inefficiencies that come from that because if there is genuine supply chain interruption that can qualify but just saying we had supply chain problems isn't enough so you you do want to document it ryan and you want to make it as quantifiable as possible like i was talking about 20 minutes in 20 minutes out per vehicle that's 40 minutes you can look at the number of vehicles you did you can do that math and you can say this is quantifiably X percent that we're spending on things that we wouldn't have to do normally mm -hmm. um, and trying to quantify that across the, across the board with as many things as possible to make your case. I mean, if, we if bought you, software, we bought software to help us because like, you know, when you think about garage doors pre COVID, it was like you, you sold a door, you ordered it, you installed it. It was like a three, you know, one to three, four week process. Um, yeah. And when you get into 16, 18 weeks, you know, now you need to track all the communication and the follow-up manufactured, make sure that we're still on deadline. So mm -hmm. like you had to hire staff, then you had to pay for software, then you had to communicate with clients a lot more over a 16 mm -hmm. or 18 week period or 20 week period while you're yep. waiting on things, you're losing deals because people are backing out because they can't get, I mean, you're right. Like there's a lot of things I think that we kind of take for granted because it's like when you have everybody was dealing in your with life, it, yeah. you just like block it out, you know? And so, well, and, um, and entrepreneurs are just the kind of people who are like, okay, this sucks. But like as business owners, we face these kinds of things all the time. Right. And yeah. so this was just another thing where you're like, okay, put on the blinders. Don't, don't cry about it. Like I got to fix this. So let's find a solution. Let's get going. That's why people are entrepreneurs is they, they're set up to deal with some of this. That didn't mean it was easy. And this right. was certainly an extreme, but, but we're more prepared, I would say, than your typical person in the sense that the buck stops here all the time. Yeah. You lose a key employee, like COVID or not, like you got to deal with it. So you're, you're kind of used to that. So I think a lot of people, like you said, they put their head down, they blocked it out and they just did what they had to do. They weren't trying to track, oh, hey, in two years, there might be these credits we can get. Let's track this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it's, so it's kind of a weird thing that way. I, we were getting into the wealth management, but I'm glad we yeah. took the path that we did. So I'm going to postpone that because this is a great segue into ERC and the um, research and development credits. So we talked about ERC where mm -hmm. we just discussed that. Is there anything that you wanted to add to that before we talk about research and development? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with ERC is... Um, one, a lot of people are saying, hey, I've talked to my CPA. He says I don't qualify. This is nothing against CPAs, but most of them have been overwhelmed by all the pandemic with the PPP stuff and then helping you get that forgiven and different deadlines and a lot of the other stuff. A lot of them, when they looked at ERC originally, it came out at the same time as PPP, but you had to decide, do we want to do PPP or ERC? PPP was way better for most businesses, so they did that. But at the time, the CPAs did the research 
it wasn't the right choice. But then the, the laws changed and how they were going to qualify people, but a lot of CPAs didn't catch up with that. Or like I said, it's one little definition that's one paragraph, 37 pages into a 100-page document that if they didn't read and grasp and understand the impact of that definition of a partial suspension, they missed it. So a lot of them have told people you don't qualify, you didn't have the revenue reduction, but they do qualify. And this is important to note because just like PPP, this is huge money. I mean, we have a lot of clients who are getting a million plus dollars. You know, uh, a very close friend of mine, he, you know, he's got eight or 10 or 10 or 12 employees. They got a quarter million dollars. Like what would a quarter million dollars do for your business? You still have to pay taxes on that money. So it's not all net, that's gross. And we could go into that later. But at the end of the day, let's say you end up with 150 or $200,000. For most people I know, that would have a massive impact on what they could do with their business, right? You could turn that into a lot more, or you're talking about investments. What if you could take that money and now do some additional investments to create some, you know, some other income streams and let that grow for you for the next 20 years? Like there's a lot of implications here. So it's not something you want to look away from. And I think it's worth it for people to spend 10 or 15 minutes with someone knowledgeable, whether it's us or someone else, to make sure you're not leaving that money on the table because it's just, it's too big a chunk of money to miss. Yeah. I so agree. so that's kind of what I want to say there is if you're not sure or if you think there's even a chance, it's worth a phone call. Yeah. All right. So let's talk research and development. We've brought, we've had someone on before that kind of talked a little bit about this. And yeah. You know, as a garage door dealer, we're not mm-hmm. manufacturing a lot of things. Right. Um, so, you know, the way that she described it was kind of like you need to make an, a significant investment into or like creating something, whether it evolves into something or not. That investment mm-hmm. is basically like reimbursed via the research and development credit or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the way I understood it. Can you okay. explain? the research and development and how it might apply to a dealer who's not manufacturing products, but reselling other people's products? Yes. So the, the big thing that we've seen with garage door companies is every home you deal with, every door is customized to some extent. I mean, if you're building track homes and ordering them right on, maybe you're not there, but most of the garage door folks that we've worked with they have to come up with solutions for every new project to some extent, right? How do we make this fit right? How do we get the aesthetic? Oh, we've got to take an existing door and we've got to soundproof it. Some of them do fireproof doors, some of them do gates, but a lot of that stuff, even though you're working from a template, there's customization that has to be in there. So that checks the box. So the the R&D credits have four, four boxes you have to check. The first two, I would say almost everyone checks. And that is, are you looking to improve a product or process? So in your case, even if it's not a product, you're, you're trying to improve a process, make it smoother, faster, better outcomes, more efficient. Second one that is, be in the way, that has to be in the way of people or products like pro when you say process, could that be like restructuring your company to run more smoothly? Well, that would check that box, but there's other boxes you got to check too. So okay. the second box you got to check is, are you reducing technological uncertainty? And the way I read that is, are you getting more consistent outcomes? Are you doing things so that when we do X, the result is Y, right? You're, you're, you're trying to do that more consistently. The third one, 
and this is where I was talking about with the customization is, is there a process of experimentation? If you literally just buy a door like Home Depot and sell a door, you're not doing the installation, there's no customization, nothing, that would not qualify. But right. if you're having to say, okay, here's your situation, we think this is the best door, we're going to customize it, let's see if it fits, oh, it doesn't, these aren't working, we've got to modify it, we've got to tweak some things, now it's better. You know, and over time, you're you're customizing those. That would be a process of experimentation. Tamara, I wonder if that would be like track, because you know, air and overhead doors. We're doing like roof pitch track and high lift track, and we have like this one job where two doors were in a corner and they were like eighteen yes, by ten. They have to go for each other. You got to have one track extend like eighteen additional feet so that you can anchor it and secure it to something like. Is that the type yeah. of thing that you're talking about? Yeah. And so the man hours that go into the wages that go into figuring that stuff out and trying it and it doesn't work and then you improve and you get better, you know, and you're more able to do that in the future. Those kinds of activities can accrue credits. And then the fourth one, just so you know, is it has to be based in hard science and they define hard science as biology, computer science, engineering, or physical science, right? So a lot of what you guys are doing relates to mechanical engineering. engineering. Um, and there's there's definitely some computer science if you guys are using like computer-aided drafting and those kinds of models to figure out solutions and put everything together. So the dollars that you're spending that check those four boxes, um, th those dollars can be can be used in a service business like you have, less, you know, not a product business. It's gonna mostly be wages. You know, your guys going out, figuring out solutions, you guys in-house maybe doing it. Um, and, you know, a couple of my garage doors guy, door guys, like one of them invented or they created a, a hinge because they're, they're on the West Coast, close to the ocean, that uh, mixes aluminum and steel. So it reduces rusting. And so those, those hinges hold up better in those, those pieces. Uh, that, of course, is totally a product, but it's a totally an experimentation, right? Um, finding better solutions for clients anytime you're doing that. And I would dare say that's you're trying to do that all the time and you're trying new stuff. If you try new products, if you try new techniques, if you're trying new mechanisms and parts and pieces to see if they perform better, whether that's outcomes that or like costs every day, right? That that's the thing for, for an industry like this. And, and it's one of the reasons that construction and, and home services types of businesses are so important is, I mean, Consistency in everything, including price, reliability, quality, not just quality, but great quality control. These are things that describe Somer USA. Somer's not some startup company, not one that you need to be worried about going out of business in the near future. Somer's a two, Somer and their family of businesses are $200 million companies. They're in over 100 countries, and they have locations in 20 countries. This is a large organization who stands behind their product and works through integrity. And there's not another company out there willing to drop what they're doing and help you out like Somer. These guys are awesome. Not only have they been loyal to the Torsion Talk podcast, They've been loyal to the technicians and the owners of the companies who install their product. In my opinion, if you're not at least offering Somer as an additional option, 
you're cheating yourself. Listen, first-time dealers, I've got a special for you. If you buy 10 or more Somers between now and the end of the season six, while supplies last, we will offer you free shipping. You have no more excuses. The prices are great. The product is amazing. Go check out Somer USA and order 10 for free shipping. Like I did construction growing up 20 years ago and we go in and see how people do things now and it's totally different. I mean, they're doing the same stuff, but the products and the approach and the technique is completely different because people have continued to innovate, try new stuff. And the, the, the concept behind this, Ryan, is when you try new stuff, sometimes it doesn't work and it's expensive. Yeah. And so the government's saying, we know that people do what they're incentivized to do. If they're incentivized to not try stuff because it's too expensive, they stop. So we're willing to reimburse you some of those dollars if you try new stuff, whether it works or not. So is this taxable income like the ERC money? So it's, it's different. It's a credit. Um, It's essentially refunded tax dollars. So you will, you will pay a tax. There's like a gross credit and then there's the net credit, right? So the gross credit might be $25,000 for this year, but by the time you factor in taxes, you end up with 18 of it, right? So 18 would be your net credit, which is what you see in savings. All right, so let's talk about how much you can get and what you need to justify that credit. Yeah, so uh, I'll give you a a pretty simple example, okay? Because there's there's two ways to do the credits. There's the really uh, detailed way, which was the original credit back in 1981, which is called the contemporaneous method. And with that, you have to document like every quarter of an hour and who's working on what and every project. And it's, it's very detailed. If you're Facebook or you're Google, you can probably do it. If you're Aaron Overhead Doors, you probably don't have a team to do that, right? So in 2007-ish, they created a simplified, they call it the ASC, Alternative Simplified Credit. And that's what we do for small businesses. That really opened the door to make this thing affordable. And what it is, it's more broad strokes. So what we're trying to establish is what's a uh, sort of a weighted average percentage of your expenses, wages, materials, that qualify. So let's say we look at your payroll and you've got a half million dollars of payroll. And we determine from our conversations that 40% of your wages are spent on this type of activity. Okay. So that would be $200,000 out of the 500,000 that, that qualifies. And then there's, there's kind of a multiplier. This isn't a hard, fast rule, but we find a lot of businesses fall between five and 8%. So that would be between 10 and 18, um, dollars and $16,000 a year. And then in most cases, we can do a three-year look back. So for a lot of our people, when we do that. for those? Like a yeah. retro credit? Well, what happens is you, ref, re, you know, there's an amendment to your taxes and the, the IRS will send you a check. Don't think it's coming real fast because it's taken about a year <laughs> to do it. But, but the check is in the mail, just yeah. truly in snail mail. Uh, so a lot of people, if they do a three-year look back, Thirty to forty-eight thousand dollars, if those are your numbers. Now, if you've got a much bigger operation, we did a garage door company. They do fifteen million a year, you know, and they were getting more like one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Um, did another smaller one. They were doing like, you know, eight nine hundred thousand a year of top line revenue, and they were getting five or six thousand dollars. I mean, I would say this is 
So don't take this as a, a gospel, right? But a lot of times, depending on your business and how technologically advanced you are, that might be a half a percent to a percent and a half of your gross revenue might give you a ballpark idea, right? Don't hold me to that, but we've yeah. just kind of seen that's sort of where things work out in the industry. Um, you know, I'm making a bunch of assumptions there, but, but. Uh, Ryan, are you pulling out your calculator to do that math right now? <laughs> I don't even know why. I mean, I could do that in my head, but as I'm doing the podcast, it's harder for me to do math in my head. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I pulled out my calculator like three or four times. I saw the gears turning. From well, I mean, here's the thing, dude. Like, I mean, right now, capital is, is, is hard, right? Like it's tight. Yeah. It's getting yeah, it's real tight. tight um homeowners aren't spending the money on doors like they were you know that when it gets like this they'll prolong fixing their door they'll just park mm -hmm. outside because the pain of paying for it, it's more than the pain of like just walking in from outside <clears throat> in a cold car in the morning um and they just got to bear it for like another month or so and then it's going to be warm so they're like oh if i could just make it to the summer and then they're probably good until you know fall they get a little more money or whatever so it's kind of like, man, this sucks, dude, because we're about to hit our busy season. Yeah, which... well, and, and you guys might see, like my dentists had a little whiplash, right? They Everybody bought braces, which was great. But yeah. now everybody who ever thought about getting braces got braces in the last two years. So except for the teenagers who are coming into that year, but all the moms and dads and all the people who, you know, kind of did it as an elective, those people have all have all bought and you guys might be in the same boat where a lot of people who are like, we don't have to upgrade our door. It's not broken, but we want to make our house pretty or like all those kinds of sales might go away or at least be a lot reduced. So you're going to have a little bit of that whiplash where everybody who thought about it has done it. So it's going to take a little while for that to kind of come back to equilibrium because a lot of the people on the fence jumped in. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know that to be true for sure, but I think most optional items are feeling a little bit of that people had the money they spent it before so now it's done and they don't have to do it again for a while what if you're trying to bring in new products into your product line for sure. research and development like you'll say you buy a demo door you bring it in you work on some modifications kind of see how you want to use it yeah and list it for sale that's, I mean, that's all research in the sense that you're trying something new. It could very easily go wrong. You bring it in. Yeah. I mean, I talk be to, a good, it may not it, be a good fit for us. Yeah. You're like, this is junk. I talk to people. It happens all the time with software. happens all the time with new materials. happens all the time with new products, right? They're trying to find something better and they bring it in and they're just like, yeah, this doesn't cut the mustard. It's not better. Or we installed it and it was way worse. And now we don't want to do that because we did 10 of them and we had to replace six. Like, let's stay away from that. Uh, what yeah. if it works? That's fine. They want that's to fine. encourage the trying new things. They want to encourage the activity. One of the questions that's a little bit of a litmus test is, have you ever had something not go right? Right. If you've never had something not go right, it would be really hard to say it was a process of experimentation. That's Tamara. <laughs> what? You've never had anything not go right. Oh, right. He he says this on the same episode that he was earlier saying life yeah, was kicking you. That I'm ass. having a hard time, yeah. yeah. Well, that's not her fault. I he mean, likes to pick on me because I'm such a perfectionist. Like he, he always has 
yeah like so mm -hmm. oh i definitely picked up on that yeah <laughs> we, we all need a tamra in our life we do we all need a tamra in our life she is she brings me a lot of calmness so i, I, I have I keep her i have one that. do yep. you yeah her name's stephanie nice. and, uh, i have a stephanie but she doesn't bring me calmness i'm married to her i'm just kidding <laughs> Oh, did we lose him? He's frozen or he's joking because we were all joking and kidding. There you oh, go. no, there he is. He's back. There you go. All right. Sorry. Um, so let's change gears. That's great information. And I assume that, like, if anyone wants to talk to you about ERC or the um, research and development um, opportunities, they can reach out to you and you can facilitate that for them, correct? Yeah, I even put up a page for, for Torsion listeners where they can schedule what? direct. Yeah, oh, it's man. just it's just biglifefinancial.com. Like you knew you were going to be on here. I I try to prepare and be a professional, right? We want to help as many people as we can and what I know is if I make it easy, people do it. That's right. And if I don't, they don't. So it's just big Did life you learn that through research and development? <laughs> I learned that through being uh being in sales and helping people for 20 years. That's good. <laughs> People right. go to the lowest common denominator. So the last 10, 15 minutes here, I want to I want to talk about some of the best ways to invest your money in that one to you know hundred to two hundred thousand dollar income bracket. Um, sure. Sure. Got a little money in the bank. Like mm -hmm. you, you got a family, you got kids. Yeah. What are you what are you doing? Yeah. So what I'm going to say is probably very different than what a lot of people think. A lot of people think um, stock market, right? Like that's it's either stock market or real estate is what most Are people you going think. to say Bitcoin? No, okay. I do. I do invest in crypto. Uh, yeah, it's a small part of my por portfolio, but I, I'll give you the one minute tangent here. I see web three is a little bit like what happened during the dot-com boom, right? It's, it's where the internet's going and it's wild west. And there's a bunch of, crashing and burning that's going to happen along the way but it already I is do, yeah obviously sorry someone's someone's rattling our doors uh he's a border collie husky lab mix so he looks like a big border collie that's cool yeah yeah he's he's great but he doesn't look we've, we're having a storm over here right now oh, and the no. wind's blowing like crazy and it rattled the window a little and i uh, got gotcha. you where are you guys at uh south salt lake city okay yep all right so so, so crypto is a small portion of your deal you said that stock market is where a lot of people say put your money but you were gonna say something else yeah i'm gonna say something that's gonna shock you guys uh i think for people who are in that boat the best place you can put money aside especially as a business owner is in high early cash value life insurance and you're going to laugh at me, but I'm here, laughing. okay, but, but here's why when, you know, if you, if you're with the right product, there's some really good high early cash value. So this isn't about a death benefit. What it effectively right. creates is a very high interest tax-free savings account, right? And so you put money in there, you've got a guaranteed rate of return for somewhere between two and 4%. If you work with a mutual company, which we highly recommend. They're owned by the policyholders. They don't get pushed around by the stock market and all that other stuff. Um, so you're, you've got your guarantee rate of return plus a dividend with a mutual company and all that growth. As long as you use the loan provisions, which life insurance is set up at, 
that's like a whole other topic, the money will grow and you can use it tax-free. So a, a lot of insurance policies, the reason they have a bad name is if you put money into them, usually the first two years, you'll have like zero cash. So let's say you're putting 10 grand a year in, right? You're taking 10% of your $100,000 a year income, you're saving it. If you do it in a traditional way, you'd have $0 the first two years, which is horrible, terrible, right? That's when all the fees happen in life insurance generally is the first two years. So it would be, it'd be really frustrating. And I get why if that's happened to you that you would have a bad taste in your mouth. The second way is if you used a, a traditional policy, but you do what they call overfunding. In other words, you're buying the minimum amount of insurance that you can to stuff the max, max amount of cash. There's a ratio there that allows it to continue to grow tax-free. Um, so you have to buy some insurance to use this tool. So if you do it that way, usually 65 to 70 cents on the dollar is available in the first year. Second year, it's like 75 or 80. Third year is usually a break even. So you put 10 grand in, your, your cash value goes up 10 grand. And then from there forward, you put in 10 grand and more than 10 grand shows up. So it, it, it's a pretty big step back. But by the third year and beyond, it's, it's a pretty high interest savings account. But if you use these high early cash value policies, you're instead of at like 70 cents, you're at like 90 to 92 cents on the dollar at the end of the first year. So it's a very small step back one time in order to have this. Uh, so it's like, think of it this way, 92 cents on the dollar the first year in a savings account, about 95, 96 cents the second year. Third year is about a break even. And from there, you know, you're putting in $10,000 and you're coming out ahead and that just grows every year. The reason this is so valuable for a business owner is it's going to help you keep up with inflation. Dividends historically have followed interest rates. So right now, the policies that we're doing, which are, I think, the, the best out there is about 6% tax-free, which if you're in a, you know, a 30% tax bracket, it's like getting 9% or so safely in a, in a vehicle. The money grows consistently, but you can access it very easily. Like uh, I got married in October and rather than going, thank you. Thank you. It was awesome. And has Is been her since name then. Stephanie. It's not, it's That's Jackie. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the cool thing is you can get access to the money usually in about five to seven days. So I wanted, instead of like putting some of those things on a credit card, I wanted to pay for them cash. So I used a loan against my life insurance policy, borrowed the money out. Um, and, and used it to pay for that. So I saved all that interest that I would have paid on credit cards or whatever while I was paying it off. And then as I made the money, I would pay my, pay my loan back inside of the insurance policy. Uh, the big thing there is you can, you can use it as a banking system and we don't have time to necessarily get into that today, but I feel like as a business owner to stay liquid and grow your money in a way that's gonna keep up with inflation tax-free is really hard to beat. Yeah. Right? It's it's no, there's no gambling with it. Like I, my, I've got pretty big hangups with the stock market in the sense that at this point, if someone can do a tweet and impact the entire market, it's not based on value. It's right. based on speculation. Fear. People are guessing what's going to happen next and trying yeah. to be ahead. That's what's known as the greater fool theory, right? So people dumping their life savings into something they almost know almost nothing about, have zero control over, doesn't have tax efficiency because they think by putting the money in a 401k or IRA that they're saving taxes. They are this year, but they're paying the taxes in the future. I much prefer truly tax-free 
versus tax deferred, right? Tax deferred means you're going to pay the taxes later. Right. And I joke about this, but do you think taxes are going up or down in the future? Up. Yep. Everybody does. It depends if you got a Republican or Democrat uh, government, but I think regardless, it's still going up, but at what pace it'll depend on who's in, who's in control. I agree. And we'll see it bounce around it. It always has historically, but I hate trying to make a plan based on that unknown because taxes are such a huge factor, like a big, big part of our thing, especially once people get over $200,000. And this is a good distinction to make. If you're under $200,000, you're what's called a non-accredited investor. As a single person, if you make over 200,000 or as a married couple over 300,000, you become an accredited investor. And there's quite a few more uh, investment opportunities available to you. A lot of them I consider to be better. Um, and they're, you know, you have to do your due diligence to figure out which ones are right for do you. Do you have to file to be an accredited investor? No. It's no, just well, strictly based on income. It's based on income or if you have a net worth. Liquid cash. A net worth of a million dollars or more, not including your primary residence. So outside of your okay. home, if you have a net worth over a million dollars. The the idea there is those types of investments, they can have better returns, but they take a little more due diligence, a little more uh, knowledge to to invest in. And so they're figuring at that point, if you make a mistake, you, you make enough income or have enough net worth that you can kind of um, withstand that. But the truth is the, the door is really open and you get into things like ta- tax advantaged investments. So there's places you can invest money. You get your return on your investment but you also get a huge tax break on a lot of those. And this, these are the kinds of tax breaks that the government uses to, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but encourage people to put their money into things the government wants funded, but they don't want to pay for, right? So a lot of it right now is energy and infrastructure. And energy has been for years, but you've got your oil and gas, your natural gas, your solars, those kinds of things. There are a lot of investments out there that when you put money into those, you get a 70, 80, 90 cents on the dollar write-off, which if you're in a high tax bracket, that's a big tax savings, right? We don't want to call it return on investment, but money stays in your account. So that's a pretty big win. I, you know, I did one of those, not last year, I did something else, but the year before, and it saved me about $35,000 in taxes. That was pretty cool. Yeah. It's a car, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, then I can take that money and I can invest it elsewhere. I can take that money and and pay off debt. I can take that money and invest in my business, right? So the ROI doesn't stop there. It turns into what do you do with those dollars now? So, but back to your hundred to $200,000, I think the number one thing people can do, one is um, save into highly cash value life insurance because it's gonna systematize that savings like we talked about. And if I could give people a second one, purchase a home. I know homes are, you know, I don't like to view them as an asset, but here's the thing. You don't have a choice of whether you pay to live somewhere or not. So if you can be getting anything out of your rent money, then you may as well be doing that. Uh, homes have a tendency to keep up with in, in, um, inflation. And because you got to have a place to live anyway, they're, they're a pretty good thing. Are home uh, prices a, coming back down? Yes, I believe so. I was just for... For context, I was a professional real estate investor for eight or nine years, flipped almost 200 houses, 
So I follow the market pretty close. What we're in right now um, is we're, we're in the in-between. What's happened is interest rates have gone up. Prices have gone up. Like right now, a mortgage for the same house at the same price is going to cost you about double what it did oh, about a year ago. So, but here's the thing. The sellers don't want to hear it yet. And so if you're a real estate agent going in and telling someone, I know your house, you know, was worth a million dollars, but we really need to try and sell it for seven fifty. Like you just don't get the listing. Yeah. Right. Cause the next guy comes in, he's like, Oh no, no, we could totally get you a million. There's tons of people who want it. And the reality is we have a genuine housing shortage. There's a ton of people right. who can buy houses and want Which to is buy different houses. than 2010 because the 2010 house, uh, market crash, we had, um, we had a surplus of homes on the market for sure. Now it's flipped because over the next four years, builders slowly started building, but not all of them bounced back as fast and was building at the same pace. But all these people like Tamara was out having babies. And <laughs> now you have, you need bigger houses. You got more people. Pe yeah. you, know, you got this young generation graduating high school and college looking for places to stay. And there's a shortage of housing. Mm -hmm. uh, 2020, like I think it started really becoming obvious like what 2018 and then you had the the issues in 2020 with covid and then mm -hmm. everybody started buying houses up but the supply and demand played a huge role in that for sure i mean well the the other big thing is interest rates went to zero so yeah houses houses are sold on more uh, on monthly payments and this could apply to your business too if you offer better financing than the next guy you'll get the deal, right? Because if they can buy that garage door for 200 bucks a month instead of 400 bucks a month, and it's the same thing, even yeah. though they have to pay longer, they're gonna do it. So, so houses are 100% dictated, the value of a house is 100% dictated by the monthly payment, right? So the same house that used to be, and this is a quick lesson in real estate, used to be 500,000 um, and the payment was 1,500, well, now 1500 buys a $600,000 house, but you can't go from 500 to 600 overnight. Banks won't lend on that. They need comparable properties like right. other properties so in the area. Previous sales. So you go from lower. Yeah. So you go from 500 to 510 to 520 to 550 to 560. And each one of those cycles takes 45 days, right? For a house to close. And, and then now that one's a comparable for the next group and for that house to close. So that's why houses like, when, when interest rates went to zero, didn't instantaneously jump up $200,000. It was because the, the same payment would buy $200,000 more. It's just that the houses needed the comparables to do that. So that's why it took a year and a half for houses to scream up to where they probably should have been instantly. But the difference is going the other direction, we can do it. As soon as, this is my guess, as soon as buyers because the public always takes six to 12 months to to like right. deal with what's going the on real estate markets delayed well it was the same thing with inflation we were in inflation a year before anyone was talking about right. it you can look at my video from from uh january of 2021 and i'm like folks we've been in inflation for six months mm -hmm. and nobody wants to admit it and then six months later last you know everybody was like holy cow inflation i'm like yeah <laughs> you guys didn't see it at the grocery store like right. it was hitting you in the face. Um, so same thing here. We're already in a market where outside of the buyers, I was just talking to my realtor 
and what the the builders i'm sorry not the buyers the builders are supplementing loans right now to continue to make their sales so essentially you can buy a loan down you pay extra money at closing to buy an interest rate that's lower so the builders are eating the the points that you pay so they're offering loans at four and a half percent because then they can still get all that money right yeah. for that higher price so they're like yeah we're eating thirty thousand dollars worth of points but we're getting two hundred thousand dollars more for the house so it's a win for them and it's a better interest rate for the buyer so that monthly payment isn't so painful to buy that house at the higher price so that's still going on so one more question yeah the fed rate isn't tied to mortgage rates mortgage rates are tied to bonds right uh so why is the interest rate on mortgages going up it, it, when it is they increase the mortgage the the fed rate well, it, it is tied to the federal rate. I mean, they're all related to each other, but yeah. the federal rate is the rate that banks get to borrow money from the, from the Federal Reserve at. So yeah. that's their buying cost. And then they have to mark it up to sell it to, to you as, as an end user. And a lot of times there's more than one group in that chain, right? You've got like the big banks that are small, selling to the smaller banks and all the way down. So the Federal Reserve rate really does dictate that because trust me yeah. if if people could short circuit that and go around it or just undercut people would be doing it right now because you get all the market share yeah so it, everybody's pretty tight on that and a lot of them are even to try and get that extra half point lower they're they're eating it on their end on commissions just so they can get the buyers so that they can make sales because mortgage companies are really hurting too a ton of those guys are looking for work right yeah. um so it, it is all kind of intertwined, but I, I do think real estate will go down as soon as buyers, what, what's going to happen is you're going to have a group of buyers that has to sell, mm -hmm. right? Um, and as soon as some of those guys have to sell and have equity, they're going to bring the market down. They're going to start undercutting people. And then the next guy's got to sell and he's got to undercut. It doesn't take a lot to swing a market. Like the difference between have, having a 10% surplus of buyers and a 10% shortfall doesn't just change the market 10% because now sellers have to compete for that business. And it's the same thing in the garage door business, right? When you have that shortfall, you got to keep your guys working. So you're willing to do it at cost. Well, the next guy's willing to lose a little money to keep his guys. And, and it turns into a little bit of a race to the bottom. So we will see some momentum that way. It's just, we have to get to the point where the buy, the sellers have to sell. And so they're forced to sell at those lower prices. As soon as that starts to happen, I think we'll see the swing relatively quickly. It's just right now, a lot of people don't have to sell. Right. And, and there's enough, um, enough buyer demand that it is kind of helping to pick some of those guys off who are willing to go five or 10% below market value, but there's not enough of them to really turn the market yet. So that's my guess is once it turns, it'll turn pretty fast. And, uh, and we'll see prices come down. But because there is a genuine housing shortage, I don't think we'll see the kind of fall we saw in 08. Because when prices come down, a lot of people are going to be like, uh, maybe we're not getting the bottom, but we can get this way cheaper than two months ago. Let's get it now. Yeah. And what's so, tough too is not only are mortgage rates higher, but it's harder. Like the banks are tightening the regulations on the mortgages, I've heard. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, which is weird because if they ask for enough money down, maybe they're counting on the real estate market coming back down 
Uh, but when they foreclose on houses, a lot of times they make money on them, from my understanding. Depending on the loan, yeah. They, yeah. I mean, that's why they usually want you to have 20% equity because yeah. a normal correction in a market is 20%, not 40 What happened in 08 was it wasn't so much about housing. It was really about fractional Bank banking. Loans. Yeah. yeah. Um, Derek, dude, you and I, <laughs> like, I could spend hours talking to you um and and i i probably would but i got other appointments i gotta get to um <laughs> me too but i definitely want to catch up with you again if we're ever in the same city dude we need to chat grab a beer whatever hang out talk because um i think we think a lot alike and i, I like i like your approach so we're gonna get all your contact information i yep. personally want to chat with you about my stuff okay. um R&D and then some uh, insurance like what you were talking about. Okay. And so uh, we'll take it from there. But guys, if you guys are interested in learning more, this guy literally sounds like he knows and he's read the book. I'm tired of talking to people about R&D who don't know the specifics or the ERC. Everybody gives you a different answer. So, mm -hmm. you know, put, put them, put them to test, uh, have them show you in the documentation, back up the information for you because sure. I've literally had 10 different conversations with people and they've all been very different. So uh, thank you for coming on, Derek. I really appreciate it. I I, I think that you're a great resource and um, and we're, we're happy to promote you on the podcast and have people come come reach out to you and learn. As a, as a business owner myself, personal wealth is important to me because I wanna, I wanna build generational wealth for my children and yep. my retirement. And so, yes, selling my door company one day probably isn't going to set me up for a retirement. Um, right. So we've got to all start planning that. The earlier you do it, the better. So strongly suggest checking into that. And Derek seems like a really good person to make that happen. He's got a YouTube channel with some pretty good information on there. So check that mm -hmm. out as well, uh, especially a little poke at Dave Ramsey, which I think is funny. <laughs> um, so Derek, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and uh, all the information you shared with us for free. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, loved it, Ryan. And I don't know if you do or don't want me to do this, but that link I was mentioning is biglifefinancial.com forward slash torsion. So if you just biglifefinancial.com slash torsion, you can sign up for a free conference, you know, to for us to talk and get on my calendar and we'll we'll go through your situation and and see how we can help. Whether you make a hundred thousand a year or five hundred thousand or a million, there's different solutions out there that obviously we didn't get into today. Heck yeah. So Tamara will put that in the description of the podcast. So it's easy for you guys to find it. We'll put it on the post on Facebook. If you're not following us on Facebook, make sure you do so because we put some other information out there. Thank you for following along. Stay safe. Be good. Stay warm out there, you northerners.